All right, we are going to turn our Bibles now, turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. So Luke chapter 9, we're getting back uh, into the Gospel of Luke. We uh, were in the Gospel of Luke last year, and then uh, towards the August we, we uh, uh, ended with the end of chapter 8, and we took a, a hiatus from uh, the Gospel of Luke, and now we're, we're getting back into it. So Luke chapter 9, and our, our text will be just verses 1 through 9. Luke 9, 1 through 9. And I'll read here from God's Word in the Gospel of Luke. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. I'll just pause there. That's kind of an a interesting phrase. We, we, don't, we don't hear uh, that, that practice talked of or, 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 or done um, in our culture. But in that culture, that was a sign that the town was, it was like it was unclean. And so uh, if a town did not receive the disciples and their message, which was a message of the kingdom of God, then they were to shake off the dust from their feet as a way of saying, uh, the, 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 this place is unclean. We don't want to carry your, your uncleanness with us into the other villages. Just to explain that phrase there in verse 5. So back to verse 6. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some, that Elijah had appeared, and by others, that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we turn our attention to your word in Luke chapter 9, we pray for your help. Lord, we are dependent completely upon you, that your spirit would come and enliven us, give us, give us life, spiritual life, to see the realities that are in your word here for us. Father, that your spirit would, would bring conviction upon us where we need that, that your spirit would bring encouragement to us where we need that, and Father, that your spirit would empower us to obey your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, several years ago, um, I read, read a book along with uh, some other pastor friends of mine that uh, I, I meet with regularly, and the book had this provocative title. It said, Dangerous Calling, Dangerous Calling. And the title, of course, was referring to the calling of being a pastor. There's a book about pastoral ministry called Dangerous Calling, and when my pastor friends and I were discussing the book together, one of the criticisms that we, that we brought up uh, about the book was that 
compared to believers in our, in our churches, working in the midst of a secular culture, that pastors actually have it pretty easy. You know, in fact, we, we agree, pastors have it far easier than most other believers. For, you know, when, when we live out our faith in the midst of the secular culture, or when we speak God's words and share our faith with others, we are rarely challenged about that. For after all, we are pastors. It's kind of expected of us to talk about such things. But for the faithful Christians living and working in the midst of our secular culture, well, when he or she speaks God's words or, or shares about their faith in Christ, there will most likely be consequences for that. They may suffer the loss of some relationships. They may, they may be challenged by others who, who don't share their biblical beliefs. They might even be reprimanded or even lose their jobs or be accused of harassment or, or even hate speech in our culture today. When my wife Greta uh, was finishing up her pharmacy school, she spent her last year doing uh, different pharmacy rotations, working in different pharmacy contexts in order to gain experience. And one of her rotations was, was in the small, privately owned pharmacy in one of the suburbs of Des Moines. And uh, each of these rotations lasted for four weeks, so that is how long she was working in this uh, particular ph pharmacy. And, and, and one day, just in the midst of her, her work day, another student who was working there um, got into a conversation with my wife, and, and the conversation began to turn personal. Uh, the, this other student shared some, some struggles that uh, he was having with Greta, and, and almost naturally, Greta shared with him about her hope in Christ and uh, how that helped her to uh, uh, endure and uh, face trials in her own life, and, and she told him she'd pray for him. Well, at the end of that rotation on her evaluation by her supervisor, she found out that that, that simple conversation about her faith in Christ was very costly, as she was reprimanded and docked on her grade for, as they put it, trying to proselytize and pushing her beliefs on others. So friends, living as a Christian and faithfully following Christ in the midst of this world is costly. It is a dangerous calling. Yet the message that we have is the very message that our sin-sick, condemned world desperately needs to hear. Only followers of Jesus Christ have the words of eternal life. The words which will set those enslaved to their sins free from their oppression. Yet, it will be costly for us to speak those words. We will have to count the cost, but trust that the Lord will help us and will be with us. So our main theme from Luke chapter 9, 1 through 9 here is to be one of the Lord's people means to be on mission with him in a world that both desperately needs yet despises his message. So as we return here to the Gospel of Luke, we come back to a section where Luke has been uh, describing for us just what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer. 
that is again what we find here in these opening verses of chapter 9 as the Lord Jesus sends out his people on mission. And so verses 1 and 2, the heading I put over these, these first uh, initial verses here, is that the Lord calls, sends, and empowers his people to share in his ministry. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now it was just back in chapter 6 that the Lord prayed through the night and then chose these twelve men to be his apostles, to be his messengers, those, those whom he sends out. Uh, they, they, they have followed him, they have heard him teach and preach, they have witnessed him heal and restore, and they've seen him cast out demons. Now the time has come for Jesus to send them out on their own in ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but, but to me it seems to be a bit premature, doesn't it? I mean, are they really ready for this? Are they, are they prepared to do this? Can they be trusted with such a great responsibility? Well, let's just consider what Luke tells us about how Jesus sends them out. This is not a a long section here, so I think each detail is important for us to notice. First, it says the Lord called the twelve together. That is, he, he summoned them to himself. He intentionally had them brought close to him so that he could instruct them and then send them out. I think that that order is very significant here. Before we can be sent out for Jesus, we must first come to Jesus. We must know him. We must have a relationship with him. We must spend time with him, which all of the 12 have been doing up until this point after he first called them. So the first and foremost qualification for anyone to share with anyone else about the Lord Jesus is that you must first come to Jesus yourself. So think about this in your day-to-day lives. Before we will be ready to face the challenges, the, the temptations, or the ministry opportunities for each day, we must first go to Jesus and be with him. We must spend, spend time with him. We must listen to what he has to say to us through his word And pray and seek his help and his power in order to be prepared and ready to head out to serve him in in whatever calling the Lord Jesus has currently given to you. So notice also that he doesn't just summon one person. He he gathers the twelve together. This, This ministry is not just for one of them. It is for all of them together. At this point in the story, the twelve represent the church, and it is the whole church that receives this call, and it is the responsibility of the whole church to obey this call and to go out and speak the message of the kingdom. Now, we are all to be involved in this work. It is our mission together. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for those who are extraordinarily gifted evangelists. It's for the whole church together. We also see here that the disciples are not sent out because of the power or the wisdom that they already possess. Instead, they must rely upon the power 
that the Lord Jesus gives to them. There it says, the Lord gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out. Now Jesus didn't say to them, okay, here's what I expect you to do. I expect you to go out, go out there, heal people, heal them of their diseases, and then confront the spiritual forces of evil and cast out demons, okay? So go, get to it. And then when one of the disciples raises his hand, you know, kind of meekly and says, Lord, um, how are we supposed to be able to do all of that? Well, the Lord doesn't answer him by saying, come on, you figure it out. You know, you see me do it, figure it out. Well, neither does the Lord offer them modern self-help psychology by trying to, to, to encourage them that, you know, they, they, they are smart enough, they, they really are talented, they, they are gifted, if they just, you know, they have everything that they need inside of them already to be a success, they just got to dig down deep and find it within themselves. No, no, instead the Lord empowers them for the ministry. As one pastor wrote, thankfully for them, that is for the disciples, and for us, the power for mission comes not from something within the ones who are sent out, but from the one who sends them, from the Lord himself. Now notice what the ministry is to which the Lord is calling the disciples here. Look at verse two again. Verse two there says, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Again, we, we may misunderstand what it means to proclaim the kingdom of God. It's helpful if we look down to verse six and there in a parallel statement there in verse six, Luke describes their ministry as preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. But, but again, we might be tempted to assume that the gospel they preached is the same message that, that we might preach. Now, there's been a, a basic gospel message that, that I grew up hearing that goes something like this. Uh, accept Jesus into your heart as your Savior, and your sins will be forgiven, and you will go to heaven. Now, that, that, that's it. Accept him into your heart, and your sins will be forgiven, and you will, will go to heaven. But, 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 but that is where it helps to think about what it means to proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim the kingdom of God. To do that is to proclaim the rule or the sovereign reign of God. That's, that's the kingdom. Proclaiming the rule or the sovereign reign of God. And to believe in that message of the sovereign reign of God requires submission to his reign and submission to his king, who is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ the anointed one. So submitting to Christ's reign then requires repentance. That is, you must repent of the self-rule that you have been living under, ruling your own selves, doing what, what, what you have desired to do, living according to your own passions, repenting of that, that self-rule and submitting your life under Christ's rule. Look back at uh, Luke chapter 4, just a few passages, uh, a few pages before this. Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. Here it says, 
Jesus said to them, so he's saying to his his disciples who had come out looking for him, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so if we compare that to what we see Jesus sending out the 12 apostles to do here in, in our passage, well, we see that it's basically the same ministry. Jesus here shares his ministry with his people, his ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God. That is, to call for repentance and submission to God's king. To accept him not just as your savior, but as Lord, as king. And then submit yourself under his sovereign rule over your life by obeying his word. And in that submission, you will find life. You will find joy. You will find peace. Because your life will now be ordered in the way it was intended to be ordered. Following Christ as your Lord, as your King. Receiving the grace that he offers you. That is the message of the kingdom. So is that the message that you are following? Is that the gospel that you are proclaiming? Next, in verses 3 and 4, we see that the Lord's people are ready for ministry when they are completely dependent upon him. The Lord's people are only ready for ministry when they are completely dependent upon him. So Jesus begins his instructions for the disciples by giving them a list of what they are not allowed to bring with them. Now this, again, is not at all what we are used to. In, in, In just two weeks... Our high school youth group students will be heading to Estes Park, Colorado for the the Rocky Retreat. And a couple of weeks ago, I provided the students and parents with a list of items that they are required to bring along with them. These are things that you need to bring with you. That's what I was mostly concerned with, what they need to bring, rather than what they shouldn't bring with them. Now, don't get me wrong, there were some items that I told them not to bring along, but they're all things that they most definitely would not need on the trip. So what is in stark contrast with the things that the Lord Jesus tells the disciples that they shouldn't bring with them are all things that, that they would normally want to have with them, that they would normally need for the journey. Look at verse 3 again. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now these are all items that someone would normally make sure that they have with them if they were about to go on a long journey. And yet, they are the very things that Jesus denies them from bringing along. So so why wouldn't he allow the disciples to bring an extra tunic or a bag? You know, or a bag for for carrying some some food, like a loaf of bread or other supplies, or, or even a few extra dollars just in case they, they might need it. Why would he do this? Well, it it is so that they would learn that they must depend upon God fully for what they need. And not just for these things, but, but for everything. Their ministry will only be effective if they are fully depending upon the Lord Jesus. So just just think. They would be constantly reminded here of how dependent they were. On God. Every time they were a little hungry, it would 
remind them. Or each time the temperature dropped and they were wishing they had that extra tunic along with them to put on. Since they were not allowed to bring any of these basic needs with them, it would require them to ask others for help. It would make them quite willing to receive the gracious hospitality that others would provide for them. Look at verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Now, let's be honest. As Americans, we are not good at asking for help. We are prone in the very opposite direction, believing that if we can't do it ourselves, well, then it isn't worth doing. We just celebrated a national holiday for our independence, after all. You know, friends, you know, being so proud and independent keeps us from receiving the gracious hospitality and help that the Lord would provide us through others. Back in 2009, uh, my wife Greta and I were planning to make our first overseas trip. We were going to be flying to Europe in order to serve at an, an English camp that uh, some of our friends who are missionaries with the Free Church uh, uh, serving in Austria, they were, they, were, they were running this English camp, and, and so we were heading over there to, to help, help them out for a few, a few weeks. And, and I remember taking or talking over my uh, itinerary uh, for our travels with my friend John uh, before our trip. And John is an expert at international travel, for he and his wife have been missionaries serving in Central Asian Muslim countries for many years. And so our plans were to fly into Munich, Germany, fly into Munich, get off of our plane, get our luggage, and then find this airport taxi service in the middle of the airport, which would then transport us by van across the border of, of Germany and, and into Austria, and it would take us then to the airport in Salzburg, Austria, where our friends would meet us there and then bring us to where we would be staying. Now, I was... I was more than a little nervous about being completely dependent upon other people, other people who I didn't know, who didn't know me, and who probably wouldn't speak English. And my friend John just smiled at me and said, you know, it, it really is good for us to be put into a position where we need to ask someone else for help. He said it, it, it humbles us and it leads us to depend upon the Lord. And then he said, it enables others to have the opportunity to serve you and to bless you. And then he said, it'll provide you with a very real, visible way for you to see just how the Lord is providing for you and answering your prayers. And that's what the disciples were required to do here. They're re required to go to a village with nothing, with nothing. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in that village, heal others by the power and authority of Christ, and then most likely in a culture where hospitality was expected, someone that was blessed by the apostles' ministry would offer them housing in their home. And the apostles then were not to refuse such an offer, but to accept it. No matter how poor the family, no matter how small the home, and they were to stay there until they would leave to go to the next town. 
They were to be content with the home which the Lord provided for them and not look for a better place to stay with, with more comfort or better service, which, of course, we might be tempted to do if we were in such a situation. So depending upon Jesus is difficult for us here in America to do. I think that's, that's kind of obvious for us. Self-reliance is in our blood. It is, it is a mark of honor here. You know, weakness is not the way of America, but it is the way of the Christian. For it is when we are weak, when we are forced to depend upon the Lord Jesus and the grace that he provides through the ministry of others. That is when we are strong and our ministry will be effective. Being in need drives us to pray and to depend upon the Lord through prayer. So maybe the reason for why we pray so little as American Christians is because we believe that we can handle most things that we do just fine on our own. And that may be the reason why we feel so powerless in our ministries. We're depending upon ourselves and not upon our sovereign Lord. And finally, verses 5 through 9 here to finish the section. If the Lord's people are faithful in their ministry, they will experience both success and opposition. Look at verse 5. And whatever they do, I'm sorry, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So verse 6 tells us the disciples were successful in their mission. They obeyed the Lord. They they did what he sent them off to do, so they were faithful. It says they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They were faithful to preach the gospel, which again was not their message, but God's message. They didn't preach their own words, but the Lord's words. They also were able to perform healings, which were all signs of the kingdom. God's reign will be a healing for the nations. And all, all the wrong that sin has brought upon the world will be undone in the kingdom. So, so the healings were all signs pointing to that. But again, the disciples weren't healing because of their power and authority over sickness, but they had been given that authority and power to heal by the Lord Jesus. If we would depend upon Jesus through, through prayer and faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would also see success. For Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So speaking the words of Christ will lead to people coming to faith. It will, it will lead to conversions. The main reason why someone does not see people come to Christ or repent and believe the gospel may be because they're not sharing that message with them. We aren't telling them that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and he came to fulfill all the law of God on our behalf. The law of God which we are all guilty of 
of breaking. And so because we are guilty, we are under the just condemnation of a holy God. But God, out of his grace, sent his only son Jesus into the world to suffer and die. Being condemned as a sinner in our place, he took our place, dying on the cross, and then was raised again from the dead. Now, if we would recognize that he is the Lord and Savior and submit ourselves to his rule and repent of our own sins, repent of our self-righteousness before him, then we will be saved and will be given eternal life with him. That's the message that, that if believed, will transform a sinner's life and eternity. But as we all know, it's also a message that is hated and despised in this culture and throughout the world. And it's always been that way. We see that clearly in verses 7 through 9, where after telling us about the success of the apostles' ministry, Luke takes us into Herod Antipas's court, and we hear a discussion going on regarding Jesus. Maybe with the disciples spreading out and preaching about Jesus, word has now gotten back to Herod that he had better take notice of this. Some, some said there in his court, Jesus is John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Others said, he is Elijah, who, who never died, but was taken up into heaven, so now he's come again. Or, or maybe he is one of the prophets, come back to life. So Herod here, it says, is perplexed about this. He's utterly at a loss. He is thinking to himself, well, he, he, he couldn't be John the Baptist because I know I beheaded him. You know, in other words, I took care of him. So now we have another, like John, going around and causing trouble like John did. And thus we are reminded that this is a dangerous calling. You think about this. The disciples here are going out, proclaiming the kingdom of God in the very land where there is a ruler who beheaded someone else who is proclaiming God's words, John the Baptist. Being a Christian, sharing the message of Jesus, declaring that Jesus is Lord, will come, uh, and, and, and that he will come to judge the living and the dead, this is a message that is hated and despised in every culture around the world. On June 1st of this year, in the Taraba state of Nigeria, a pastor and his pregnant wife were shot and killed while they were outside working on their farm. Killed because of the gospel message that this pastor was faithfully preaching. This pastor, his name was the Reverend Emmanuel Saba Belia. He had just recently graduated from Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And they left behind eight children. The oldest was 19, the youngest was one. In China, in the last two weeks of May, the Chinese Communist government forced the closure of 48 Christian churches. Some Christians in these churches were also arrested. And these churches were closed. Some of them were torn down, primarily because they were proclaiming that, that there is a king who stands in authority over all other authorities, including the Communist Party. And all people will be judged by that king. And so consider the situation here in the States. Probably the primary reason evangelical Christians are hated 
hears because we believe what Jesus says regarding sexual ethics. We believe that the Bible says that the sexual relationship is reserved for one man and one woman who are married to each other. And that any type of sexual relationship outside of marriage is immoral. That it is condemned by God as sin. And remember, that was the very reason why Herod Antipas cut off John the Baptist's head. Because John had said that his sexual relationship with his brother's wife was immoral. So friends, Jesus is Lord. And trusting in Jesus' word and way is the only way of salvation. And we need to be aware that when we proclaim that message in the world, we may be rejected. We may even be hated. But our response is not to change the message. It is to, it's not to keep quiet about it, but to give the clear warning, as Jesus instructed the apostles to do, that there is no other way of salvation, to proclaim the kingdom of God. So let us pray for power and courage from the Lord to share his words and let us trust that he will provide us with everything that we are needing for that ministry that he has called us into. Let us pray. Our Father, now um, we pray that you would truly help us, that we would look to you and depend upon you for courage, for boldness, to share these words, to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God within a world, within a culture that despises that message and has turned away from you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do so out of love, love for you and love for our neighbor, for this is the way of salvation. This is the way for our neighbors to be truly free. So Lord, give us help. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, may he himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.